right. Well, it is uh, an interesting time of the year as kids prepare to go back to school. Linda, do you want to tell Julia? Julia had in mind for me to, ha- to, to preach on something, and uh, if she wants to come and bring it in now, she can bring it in. I was going to say, it's that time of the year they go back to school, and so because we've had them up in the service and they haven't been going down, I wanted to, and Deborah had this wonderful um, idea with the, with the wristbands and the scripture memory, and we want to encourage them, but I still want to follow through on my promise, which was that they could try to stump me with preaching with something. So, Julie, what do you got for me? Bubbles. Bubbles. Okay, you got to give me a moment here. Bubbles. I don't know how I'm going to do bubbles. 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 But, Julia, they're not even open. You could have at least opened it for your dad. Is there a handle in here? Oh, there is. Oh, here we go. I've never preached blowing bubbles. It's interesting. Here, I got, I got it, Julia. I got it for you. Okay, so going back to school, you know what? We, what do I pray for you every night that you would be filled with? I pray for you almost every night. God, fill Julia with your? Come on. Are you not listening when I pray for you? God, fill. Where's my other kids? They, hopefully they listen. God, fill Julia with your? Yeah, spirit. It's interesting. So I do pray for that for you every night before bed. So you better be paying attention, girl. Okay, so it's interesting. Right here, we have soap. We have an instrument to hold the soap. But there's no bubbles. There's no bubbles until what? You blow, you blow the, the breath has to go through it. Jesus even breathed on his disciples. Isn't that a little weird that he breathed on his disciples? And he said, receive my spirit. God wanted to pour out his spirit. And when the spirit of God came in the upper room in the book of Acts, what happened? Do you guys remember what happened in the upper room? Adults who, who read the Bible? They spoke in tongues, but before this, the, 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 they spoke in tongues and there was tongues of fire upon them, There was a big what? There was a big wind. So you can have, listen, you can be a believer and you can have the Bible, good instrument, right? You can be the, you can have the vehicle to which the Holy Spirit can work through is like your body, like the soap solution. Thank you, Olivia. But you need the Spirit in order for God to use you. And so if the Spirit is activated in the book of Acts, through a breath, oh, come on, Thomas, you can do better than that. They're little ones. Maybe I'll use the other end. Get a bigger one. Here we go. Nope. No, that's not the end? There we go. There we go. So what happens is like when we blow bubbles through this little thing, and we see the breath going through the instrument, we have this beautiful thing, like a bubble, and the girls like chasing the bubbles. And it is a beautiful thing. If you really look up close to the bubble, you get the little prism effect where the light hits the bubble, and you see, you see like a rainbow in it. It's beautiful. Bubbles are beautiful. When God's Spirit blows through us, and we're His instruments, we also see God's beauty blow through our lives. Amen? Amen. All right, there you go, Julia. You didn't stump me. Try harder next time. 
So, yeah, I thought, well, mosquito, I don't know. That was pretty mosquito. And uh, how did you trap the mosquito in the jar? That's what I wondered after. You sacrificed your blood. Now, there is a sermon right there. I sacrificed my blood to get the mosquito. I'll preach that one another day. Okay. So today we're going to continue. I'm going to continue this message, this theme, talking about how we're ministering to children while they're upstairs with us for the month of August. Again, next week the children will be downstairs again because we'll have Sunday school workers lined up to start to teach downstairs, and we've got some good curriculum for them. It'll be exciting. But for today, I wanted to continue this, these messages that are centered around children. Um, I preached the first one, Samuel, about how God called Samuel, how God, children can hear God. We believe that. Samuel heard God. And then we saw Josiah last week, where God used Josiah as eight year, years old to become king, and then still very relatively young king in his ages of 20 to hear the scripture, that God can use you at whatever age you are. So you can hear God at whatever age, you can be used at whatever age. And then we're going to see here how Jesus, he, it was what happened to him when he was a boy. So if you want to look up Luke chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 41. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. You'll find it interesting. This story is not in any other gospel. It's only found in the gospel of Luke, where we see Jesus at the age of 12. 12? Joel? 12? 12? So you can imagine a Joel or an Owen, but it's Jesus. Now, you can imagine at that point, they did not, they did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah at that point, right? Like, he wasn't going around proclaiming that he's the Messiah. Even when Jesus was in his 30s, more like my age, he even said, hold on, be careful to go around telling people I'm the Messiah right away because their expectation of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would look like was different than who Jesus was going to be. I'll remind you that they had the Roman oppressors upon them, and they thought that the Messiah was going to liberate them the same way that Moses liberated the people of Israel from Egypt. They expected the next Messiah to be one like Moses who would liberate them from Rome. But we know that Jesus' mission was greater than just to liberate them from the Romans, right? Jesus' mission was to liberate us from sin, from guilt, from shame, from addiction, from a lifestyle where the enemy, as the Bible tells us, prowls around like a lion. Jesus wanted to give us victory over that enemy who holds us captives. He wanted to set the captives free from a spiritual oppression, not just a government oppression. I think sometimes in the church, by the way, children, as you get older, you'll see a lot of adults start talking about things like politics, and you'll see that people want to start getting the spiritual and the political mixed back in together. And that was the danger of, um, of the disciples' day, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were very political, and they wanted to see government change society. And I read the Bible and, and in the book of Revelation, it kind of paints the picture before Jesus comes. It's the revelation of Jesus in the end times. Guess what? Man's government does not bring about Jesus' reign. We 
having Jesus in our hearts and the Holy Spirit working through us get to proclaim that Jesus already won on the cross and that his future reign comes when he comes again. So, Again, I'm setting up the scene here for Luke chapter 2. Jesus is just 12. He has not yet proclaiming this news of who he is. There's no, there's no announcement that he's the Messiah. He's just the son of Mary and Joseph. Maybe some would remember that they claimed that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and but I'm sure a lot of people would have dismissed that by now because it would be a hard thing for many to believe. So verse 41 of chapter 2 of the book of Luke says, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem to the festival of the Passover. I'm going to stop there after the first verse because I want to tell you something. Children, every year they went to the festival of the Passover. Every year your family might have certain traditions. I remember when I was um, uh, probably your age, Owen and Joel, I was probably around 12 years old, and, and, and we were going to go to the Christmas Eve service, and I protested. I said, Dad, why do we got to go to church so much? Why do we got to go even Christmas Eve? I just want to sit and watch It's a Wonderful Life. It's on every Christmas Eve, by the way. I always get the very end of it because we get home from church, and then it's still on TV, and we get the last few clips. Um, but, but I was like, Dad, can we just stay home? And my dad clearly said, it, there's no Christmas without Jesus, Thomas. And he took the presents, and he went and took them upstairs and away from the Christmas tree. And I started crying. I'm like, no, Dad, we'll go to church because I wanted my, my, one of my presents, right? But it stuck in my mind what my dad said. And the reality is we have certain traditions that are very important because why? Because they point us to Jesus. The Passover was to point the Jewish people to Jesus. Jesus' Jesus's family, his parents, took him to Jerusalem every year for a reason. And so your parents might do something for you or your family member, maybe your grandparents, might take you places traditionally, and you might wonder, why are we doing this tradition all the time? By the way, tradition in the church is useless if it doesn't point to Jesus. Sometimes we care too much about the, the chairs and the color of the walls and, 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 and the songs that, that are they modern or, or, or are they uh, hymns or whatever? It doesn't, to me, if they point, it me, matters if they point to Jesus. My dad sometimes gets on my case because I don't preach with a tie on. And I'm like, dad, I'm sorry, but I don't think that has to do with Jesus very much. Now, for him, sometimes I'll wear a tie. You know, you'll see my dad show up here and you'll be like, oh, pastor's wearing a tie. I'll tell you why. I don't want him to miss hearing me preach on Jesus if me not wearing a tie is a distraction. That's why I'll do that. However, I know most of you guys don't wear ties, so I'm not worried about it here myself on a weekly basis. But why do we have traditions? Why would Jesus' family take him to Jerusalem every year? Because God has put these traditions in place, certain traditions in place, to point back to him so that we could worship God. Verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, hold on a second. In today's world, we might say, how could they just not be aware that their son is with them? 
And so I thought, I got to tell a story. Come on, we got to cut Mary and Joseph some slack here. We've all forgotten children at some points. No? Well, I have. Don't judge me, all right? I'm going to tell you. One time we were helping Amy Best's brother move in Sudbury, and he moved. If you're ever in Sudbury, there's like one big rock in the middle of Sudbury. He, he literally moved to the top of the rock. And so we, we drove up there, and he's in this apartment building, and we move him in there. And you had to go into one door that would lock before you could get into the, his apartment, which would also lock. And so we're moving him in, in and out, in and out. And I think Joel was what, like four years old, maybe Tessa's age? And so, you know, we get them, we're going to go get some lunch. Let's go down, and uh, I think we were going to go to McDonald's. Get a treat at McDonald's, and, and um, let's get in the car. And so Amy Beth must have got, I think we just had Julia at the time, Joel and Julia. We put Julia in her car seat, and then we walk around, and we get in the car. Well, I guess I had assumed that she had also gotten Joel, and she had assumed that I also had gotten Joel. And so we get in the car, and we start driving down the road. And, I, and then we were dri- driven literally like five minutes. And I'm like, so Joel, what do you want at McDonald's? Joel? 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 And then we freak out, you know, and I do a U- U-turn. Thankfully, Joel was smart enough at the time, only four years old, to go back. The one door was open, and he could go back into that section that kind of locked itself. So he had locked himself in that one section. So thankfully, he wasn't on the streets of Sudbury, just wandering the streets of Sudbury. Now, that was five minutes. This says that um, he was lost for, uh, they had traveled a few days. So, um, but the customs were different at that time. Because the next verse tells us this. 40, verse 44 says, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. When they had been, began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, you can imagine this. They all had to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. The whole community, now if they were from Nazareth, the whole community of Nazareth were all Jews, would all travel to Jerusalem. Again, I'm cutting some Mary and Joseph some slack here. So imagine all of us, from North Grenville are like, hey, we're making our yearly pilgrimage. We're going to Ottawa. Imagine the temples in Ottawa. This is just an imaginary situation. And so we're like, let's go. And I'm like, hey, I trust Rosalind enough. I'm going to say, Joel's like, I just want to hang out with Rosalind. She's going to teach me the piano or whatever. I don't know. And, and, and so we're like, okay, she's, he's, he's gone. He's with He's with Rosalind. I'm not worrying. To be honest with you, even in today's day, there are people here, I would trust you with my kids. And that's a good thing. However, a day goes by and you're like, well, there's Rosalind. Where's Joel? Oh, no, we better go look for. And so they're looking among their friends and relatives. Verse 45 says, when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. They were good parents. They knew they should go back and look. Now, this is where it kind of scares me. Verse 46 says, after three days, after three days. Now, you know, we have um, your Amber Alert in your phone. Scary situation when that goes off, right? It wakes up everyone uh, in the middle of the night. And, uh, you know, but it's a good thing to have that Amber Alert, right? Like you think about it. Sometimes we're annoyed by it because it's so loud. And, but the reality is if your child is missing, you know, you'll do whatever you can. And after three days, I'm sure they were panicked. I could j- just imagine yourself, if you're a parent or, or maybe you're even an aunt or an uncle or your grandparent, 
missing your child for three days might be one of the worst situations you could ever go through. One time, we, Amy Beth and I went through um, to go do a wedding, and we had asked my mom to watch the kids. And my mom was going to go and meet up with us after the wedding was over so that she can go home and we could take the kids back home. So she, we were in Belleville. I mean, yes, we were in Belleville, and she was up in Cloyne, so it was about an hour and a half difference. She's just like, oh, I better leave a little bit early, get the kids in the car. So she's putting the one child in, and I guess at this time, Joel had just learned how to play hide-and-seek because she's putting Julia in the car seat, and she's like, I can't find Joel. Joel's got a good, he's good at getting missing. So I, I resonate with the story a lot with Joel going missing so often. I get, I, I'm at the wedding. I get a phone call. Uh, actually, it wasn't a phone call because I had, we had been doing the wedding, so I had my phone on mute, right? So I'm not going to check my phone during a wedding. After the wedding, I check my phone, and I get this voicemail from my mom. I can't find Joel. I can't find Joel. And so then I, 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 I skip that message, go to another message. She's left, and it's the next message. Uh, okay, Thomas, I'm going to call the cops. I've, I've been looking for 15 minutes now, and I can't find him, and I'm starting to freak out. Oh, and, no, that was, we lived at the parsonage at that point. No, we lived at the parsonage at that point. You sure? Because I'm pretty sure we lived at... Okay, it does, that's, it's irrelevant. There's water everywhere. We lived in the land of lakes. So, so that's what it's called, the land of lakes. So my mom's freaking out. She's like, going to call the cops. Thankfully, there's one more message, and I was going to freak out with my mom until I listened to that last message. I found Joel was the next message. He was hiding in the back seat of the car underneath the seat. So, <laughs> so she's freaking out. But you can imagine that panic feeling. We've also lost Joel also in the mall, in the mall, and, you know, the, the giant intercoms they have in the mall. Um, with the parents of Joel Ng, please come out. And no, we found, uh, we found him there, again, playing hide-and-seek, and then he couldn't find us. And so thankfully, we don't lose him. Now he's that he's 12. I've, I trust him a little bit more. But I can imagine what Mary and Joseph are going through after three days. But they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Verse 47 says, Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, if I got Owen up here and I was like, all right, Owen, your turn. You preach now. You ready to, are you ready to go? You, gonna, you got something to say? You can try. I don't care. What do you yeah, okay, okay, all right, you can sit down. You see, like, I, he's a little iffy about it. Should we get Owen up here but 12 years old? Jesus was ready. Like, honestly, Joel, Owen, Julia, you're only a few years away from this. Olivia, Logan, you guys want to preach. You want to teach. There's no age that discriminates against this as long as you have the Spirit of God moving through you. When I started feeling the call of God on my heart, I was only 15, 16, 17, when I started getting more and more nudges in church to do more. And so I, I really believe that what, G, what was happening in Jesus, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. Yes, Jesus is God incarnate. We believe these theological truths that says there was something special about Jesus. However, Jesus was, is the one to show us the way 
of what it looks like for God to indwell man. And so I I believe that if those people were amazed by a 12-year-old, we should not cease to look to be amazed by our youth. If, If the Old Testament tells us that a little child will lead them, and obviously we believe there's a prophecy there, but that, but that we believe that Josiah did it, Samuel could hear God. We see these circumstances where young people step into their calling. Jesus is stepping into his calling. If we have young people here who we believed are called, shouldn't we encourage them to step into that calling? We just, we just sang um, a, a few songs where we're, we're, we're praying for the next generation through our music, uh, I know one, we didn't sing it this morning, but that really spoke to my heart. Maybe we sang it even last week. Um, but it's, oh, God, let us be a generation that seeks your face. Maybe we didn't sing that one last week. But, you know, there's, there's, there's other songs that really speak about the next generation coming up. You might look around and wonder, like, we're a, we got a few kids, but we're also a bunch of o- older people here, right? Like, and so... Well, what, what is your role within that? And I really believe that the next generation is called when the older generation notices the calling within them and encourages them. We see Jesus at 12 teaching, but there were people sitting around him who were probably a lot older than him who were encouraging. Wow, what does it say here? It says, when the, it says everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. We need to allow ourselves to be amazed by the works of God through young people. Verse 48 says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his, mother's, uh, his mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? I could just imagine this. Like I've seen Amy Beth get mad at her kids, you know, like, you know, put her, we, there's a reason why they say that she put her foot down, you know, like make some noise, you know. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. You know, it's interesting that um, we don't really know what happened to, to, to Joseph because the rest of the scripture, we just see Mary by himself. Some suspect that maybe Mary ended up being a widow, that jo- Joseph passed away early because we, don't, we just don't see Joseph for the rest of the story. We see Mary, we see the brothers of Jesus show up on the scene, but Joseph is no longer there. Your father and I have been anxiously searching for him. And, and then... Here, verse, verse 49 says, why were you searching for me? He answered, didn't you know I had been in my father's house? So Joseph is still around, but he's referring to his heavenly father. Now, I wonder how that made Joseph feel. Like, yes, he wasn't the biological father. As again, we believe in the immaculate conception that, that God, through the Holy Spirit, impregnated Mary, and therefore Joseph was the adopted father. But still, when Mary's saying, your father and I are searching for him, there's some possession there that that Joseph still plays a role in the fatherhood of Jesus. But then when Jesus addresses who his father is, he's saying the one whose temple this is. He's saying, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? That's God's house. And it says, verse 50, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. So here's the message. Julia, I I think this is important for you too because sometimes Julia seems disobedient. And here Mary thought, 
that Jesus was being disobedient. And I'll tell you, there is one reason. Now, I, don't, I might get in trouble for saying this because your parents aren't here, Owen, but maybe Deborah can back me up if you ever tell your parents this. There's one reason you can disobey your parents. And that's if you have a higher calling from the Lord where the Lord says something to you and you truly believe that God is moving in your life and you have to go against what your parents might ask you to do in order to do what God wants you to do. Now, this is very rare because God has put in place a a level of authority to your parents. He trusts your parents and most often God will speak to the parents about what he's speaking to the kids. But that from time to time, parents don't understand what God's doing and therefore you might have to love God more than you love your own parents. Actually, Jesus said to the parents, actually, he said to his, he, he, he said, when it comes to family, that you can't love your mother or your father more than you love me. And he even went as far as to say that you need to, and he uses a strong word that we don't encourage our kids to use in our house, but hate your father and mother. And then I believe what in the context, what that means is compared to your love for me. That, that our love, and, and here, here's what I understand when it comes to the choosing of the words love and hate is that love is a choice and hate is also a choice. And so when you choose to love, you choose to move towards. When you choose to hate, you choose to move away from. And sometimes there are circumstances where we see even Jesus choosing to move away from his family. Why? Because he was moving towards God. And if you're ever going to move away from your family or choose a different direction than your family is headed, it's going to be because God is calling you, not because of your own selfish desires. Jesus, when, when Mary and, 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 and her children show up at the door, when Jesus is finally fulfilling some of his ministry, he's, he's going around preaching the good news, and, 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 and Jesus' fame is starting to get out there, right? The word is spreading. This guy's doing miracles, and they're like, wait, isn't he the brother? the brother of, I mean, the son of Mary, and, 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 and aren't these some of his brothers and sisters here? And they're like, yeah, we better go stop him because Jesus was so controversial. Let's, let's, uh, let's, let's see if we can deal with Jesus. And so they knock at the door when Jesus is preaching, and, and Jesus' answer to them was, you know who's my mother and father or my mother and my brothers and my sister? Those who do the will of my father. So it's not, I don't think that it's not that family is not important to Jesus because actually when Jesus is about to go to the cross, one of the last things Jesus tells the disciples to do is what? To take care of Mary. Because here she's going to be by herself. That's why they suspect she was a widow. Hey, guys, take care of my mother. Take care of Mary. She needs, she's going to need help. So it's not that Jesus didn't care for his mother. But Jesus is putting it into perspective. He's putting it into an order of authority or a hierarchy where he's saying, hey, guys, no matter what, it's God first. I don't know if you guys have had this explained to you, but in our house, we try to explain priorities to our kids, and we say, God is always first. Family is next. Then, Then there's other things that can come underneath that. God and family, and then we can put in the things that you like, like school and, and sports and, 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 and even church, guys. I love church. This is a part of family. This is a part of God and a part of family. But sometimes we make church to be God and 
church, God works through the church, but the church itself is not God. So we need to understand how we fit into that priority, but God is always at the top. And so Jesus is trying to explain this to his parents. And I like this next verse because it makes me think about how I think about my own kids. It says, then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. So see, even there, even there, Jesus was telling his parents, these are the priorities, and yet he was still able to obey his heavenly father and obey his earthly parents because that's God's desire, right? One of the Ten Commandments is obey your father and mother. And it's in the New Testament, it reiterates that commandment, saying it's not just an Old Testament commandment, it's also a New Testament commandment, and it says that this is the one commandment that comes with a promise, that if you obey your parents, you will live long, a long life. And so when we read that, Jesus was able to do that. It's not contradictory to say that God is first, and and even compared to God being first, it looks like almost as if the word hate can be used towards your family, but the reality is it's only because God is first, and yet I can still love my family. I can still be obedient to my parents. And then this is one one verse that is very, I think, um, meaningful to a lot of parents. It says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. If If you've ever been a parent, and had desires for your children, if you've ever been a parent and prayed for your kids, sometimes parents get in the way of their kids' lives. I see it. I'm a hockey dad, right? Like, I see the parents caring more about their kids succeeding in sports, or you see it in school sometimes, where they want their kids to get good grades, and they care more about the kids getting good grades than the kids themselves. It never works. If you care about something more than your kid cares about it, it they're only going to go as far as they want to take that thing. It could be an instrument. I remember my mom trying to get me to play piano. There's a reason why I'm up here playing a guitar and not a piano. By the way, she made a mistake. My piano teacher, maybe I would play the piano, but my piano teacher had cats, and I'm really allergic to cats. And so you could just imagine me up here learning to play the piano, and I'm crying because I hate it, and I'm terrible at it, I just like a little bit of, but then I'm crying because I'm bad at it, and I'm sneezing, and my nose is running. So it was like, ah, choo, ah, choo. Why, was I, why am I telling this? I forget why am I even telling this. Anyway, it's a funny story to tell. Oh, what I was saying is sometimes us as parents, we want something so much for our kids that we force them to do things that they don't even want to do, and it doesn't work out in the long run. And even, this is, this is not for the kids, even though the kids can hear this, this is for the parents. Sometimes when it comes to faith, we push so hard that I think that we actually um, push our kids away from God because we want them to have our faith, and what they need to do is have their own own personal relationship with Jesus. Not to say you can't pray for them. Not to say that you can't encourage them. Not to say that you can't even give them um, scripture and words of advice when they desire it. But sometimes I've seen where the parents want it so bad for their kids to be good believers that they do it for them and the kids essentially don't have their own faith. 
And so what do we see Mary do? She treasures these things in her hearts. So, so what I believe this is a good wisdom for us as parents is to say, sometimes we need to take a step back and say, I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna be there for you, but I'm not gonna do it for you when it comes to following the Lord. You need to figure this out on your own in, in some ways. And I, I think it's interesting that he's 12 because I think at 12, when do kids become teenagers, we say in, in our culture? Around 13, right? And at that point, what I believe is a transition starts to happen in parenting. At least I think one should start to happen. Actually, some parents don't do it, and I think they make a big mistake, and their kids hang out way too long in the long run when they don't start making this, these transitions. We, we should start trusting our kids more. We should treasure these things in our heart, what God is doing in their lives, but we should take a step back and let them make mistakes. Because maybe from age zero to 12, we have had a say. If Tessa does something that she shouldn't do, I say, Tessa, you can't do that. Not to say we can't correct a 12-year-old, but at some point we have to stop correcting them, let them make the mistakes, and then they can come to us between the ages of 12 and 18 to say, oh, I've really goofed up. And you can say, yeah, I'm here for you even though you've goofed up. Not, Not I told you so, but... I'm still here for you, even though you've goofed up. And, and they can learn under the safety of their parents how to make their own mistakes. And if kids after the age of 12 don't do that, then when they're 18 and they got to go off to college or university or get a job in the real world or start taking care of themselves, it's way too much all at once. And so for me, you know, having Joel turn 12 this year, Owen, I think for you, I see Olivia over there still at her parents' place in her teenage years. It's a great opportunity for you guys to learn how to follow God and develop your own faith so that when you're an adult, it's not because you're following the traditions that have been put in place that your grandma takes you to church or your parents take you to church. It's now I, and this is why a lot of kids who go off to university don't end up staying in church because they were only doing it because their parents did it for them. And eventually it's got to be that you love God and want to do it on, on your own. And I think when Mary treasured these things in her heart, she had to take a step back and let Jesus be Jesus. And then verse 52 is a beautiful thing as well. And I pray this for our children here in this church and in my house as well. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. And that's what our desire is for you children, is that you would grow in your wisdom, and your stature, and your favor with God and man. You know, kids are cute, right? Like Anna Claire's, I think she's adorable. She's super cute. Everybody tells me whenever I got her with me, oh, that's the cutest little girl. Yeah, I know. But you know what would be sad? If 10 years from now she was the same size and talked the same way, it would be very frustrating, and it would be very sad. Actually, there, uh, the Learning Channel uh, once had a girl on, a woman on it, who at one age had something on her brain. Maybe I don't know if it was um, a growth or something. Anyways, it stopped her um, from growing, and so she was a grown woman who was only four foot tall, and talked like a child. Her voice didn't even develop. And she was trying to convince people that she could now be a woman and get married and have kids and all that, but because she had stunted it. And it was, and it was sad. That would be sad for our children if they, if they didn't continue to develop 
and grow. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. And that is the desire for us as a church, that we could be a place. This is my hope. In the next few weeks, some of these families who've been away for the summer start coming back to church. At one point this year, we, we had almost over a dozen kids going downstairs regularly. It's not hard to get that. We've got some children's workers. I know Amy Best planning on helping the children's workers this week prepare for what's going to come next. Maybe you're someone who's volunteered. Thank you for helping. Thank you, Deborah, for helping today with Scripture and memory. And we're going to keep doing those types of things. If you want to help... But even if you can't go downstairs, even if you can't do a children's moment, what you can do is you can pray that our children grow up in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. What you can do is treasure these kids in your heart and present them to the Lord in your heart. What you can do is allow our traditions to point to Jesus and not just be traditions that we grumble about if they're not kept and the kids don't understand. You know, kids often rebel against traditions, often because they just don't understand them. But if we can be a culture here in this church where kids love God, want, recognize him as the priority, even above their own family, then I think it can be a beautiful thing. I want my kids to see their heavenly father as their closest relationship, even though I, as a father, want a relationship with them. But I want them to have that as greater. Because there's going to be days in their adult lives when they're finally adults where I can't be there for them. But just like Deborah shared in the moment today, thank you, Deborah, that was beautiful. They're going to go away and their dad's not going to be there or their mom's not going to be there, but their heavenly father will be. And Jesus got that and we want our kids to get that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these little ones. Again, we pray that as they go to school and next week they'll be back in Sunday school, Lord, would you help them grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God but also with men. We want them to have um, lives where they can influence people around them where they can be encouragers, where they can be leaders, and they can see their generation turn back to you, God. We recognize, Lord, we confess, we know that there is a serious problem in our nation where young people are not following you. Would you forgive us for the times we have failed to teach our children? But Lord, in that repentance, we pray for the next generation, for our children and our grandchildren, for those of here who have grandchildren, Lord, that they, that, that they would come into favor with you, God. They would know you and follow you above all else. And Lord, when we've put our own families above a relationship with you, forgive us. Lord, help the, the children to see that it doesn't go family, then God. It goes God, then family. Lord Jesus, you got this. Help us teach that to our children, that you are above all. You are, you are the, the name above every other name. You are God Almighty, maker of heavens and earth. You are worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our devotion. And we just want our children to know that. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this church. Would you use us this coming school year to teach children? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.